Thank you for joining us for Listen In GI Endoscopy. Throughout the series, Dr. Srinivas Gadam hosts world-renowned expert clinicians to discuss the latest developments in gastroenterology-based diseases and the use of GI endoscopy in their diagnosis and management. This podcast is brought to you by the American Society for Gastrointestinal Endoscopy, home to more than 16,000 members worldwide and the leading voice for GI endoscopy. We thank our sponsor, Cook Medical, for making this series possible. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Srinivas Gadam, and today marks a special milestone for me as I take on the role of a host for this show. It's both an honor and a privilege to be entrusted with this responsibility, and I'm excited to continue the excellent work uh, that's been done by my predecessor, Dr. Jonathan Buscalia. Uh, I want to acknowledge his exceptional work as uh, the previous host. He played a pivotal role in shaping this podcast and providing valuable insights. Uh, I'm truly humbled by his accomplishments and the contributions of those who came before him. Uh, my aim is to build upon their foundation, uh, delivering engaging content that serves as a trusted source of information and inspiration. So, Jonathan, if you're listening, I want to express my deepest gratitude for your leadership, compassion, and dedication to this podcast. Before we begin our conversation with this, our esteemed expert today, Dr. Bo Shen, I'd like to express our gratitude to our sponsors who make this podcast possible. Their generous support allows us to bring you, bring you high-impact discussions and valuable insights from our experts in the field of GI endoscopy. We extend a heartfelt thank you to Cook Medical for their continued education to advancing the knowledge and practice of gastroenterology. And now, it is with great pleasure that we introduce our guest for today's episode, Dr. Bo Shen. He's the section head and medical director for the Inflammatory Bowel Disease Center at Columbia University. He joins us to share his unrivaled expertise in interventional IBD um, he's had a remarkable uh, career focused on advanced endoscopic procedures and innovative techniques. Um, Dr. Shen is also widely recognized as a preeminent expert in this field. Beyond his clinical expertise, he's also a prolific researcher and educator. He's uh, authored numerous publications and has trained uh, and is training the future generations of gastroenterologists and endoscopists. Uh, today, we have the opportunity to delve into the world of interventional IBD and explore the latest advances and techniques with Dr. Boshan. Uh, so without further ado, let's welcome Dr. Boshan to the ASGE podcast. Uh, thank you for joining us, Dr. Shan. Thank you, Dr. Garden, for having me. And also like um, take this opportunity to thank the ASGE for having me and uh, also uh, thanks for ASG's leadership to allow us to establish the uh, interventional IBD special interest group uh, two or three years ago, and then a membership is expanding, and that field is expanding. Thank you. Wonderful. So, um, you know, before I delve into the subject matter, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got interested uh, in medicine and what led you, brought you here. 
Yes, uh, actually, this uh, I have a long career. Actually, I graduated uh, graduate uh, at Nantong Medical College in China, 1982. I was a gastroenterologist attending at University, University Hospital of the Nantong Medical College, now the Nantong University Medical School. So I came to the United States in um, 1988. So I had a long career. Either I was trained in the GI and also GI pathology, and I have the um, uh, wide exposure to the colorectal surgery and the IPD surgery, heavily influenced by my mentor at the Cleveland Clinic, Dr. Uh, Victor Fazio. So I spent 21 years at tenure at the Cleveland Clinic after I finished uh, the, including my fellowship there, uh, three-year fellowship and an advanced fellowship under um, a mentorship of the Dr. Craig Zuccaro. So that I um, have a, um, some sort of aspect of the, the, the um, you know, GI training, IBD training, and the endoscopy training, GI pathology training, and the correctal surgery training. Even like my mother uh, always asking, so when you should you um, uh, stop being a trainee and a student? It's so like, right. nothing is wasted. That's a very distinguished career. Three specialties. Yeah, yeah both pathology, uh, IBD, and uh, colorectal surgery. Yeah, so this is a really, um, uh, so during my fellowship training at the Cleveland Clinic, and um, so the, I work very closely um, with the Dr. Vic Fazio. So actually that time we do some endoscopy imaging called optocoherence op 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 tomography. Mm -hmm. In the use this technique to differentiate the ulcerative colitis uh, versus the Crohn's disease. One is a mucosal disease or or um, superficial mucosal disease, and um, other one is a transmural disease. So I collect right. the specimen in Dr. Fazio's OR operating room while waiting for the um, uh, collected specimen, and then I standing uh, alongside with Dr. Fazio, and he operated on people with IBD, colon cancer, as well as the ileal pouch. Ludo pouch created a pouch, and he had the patient to explain every um, uh, step uh, to me. And uh, best of all, he uh, also prepared the surgical specimen, collective specimen. He washed out for me and lay on the table, letting me do the OCT, OCT optical tom um, uh, coherence tomography on this uh, ex vivo specimens. So that's a. Uh, and in the meantime, and he also introduced me. Um, I also collect a specimen for study the uh, human defense in five uh, with, with my mentor in the bench side, Dr. Chuck ba Charles Bevins. Now it's a UC uh, Davis. And then we try to start to figure out why the people had the pouchitis. And um, so maybe there is a deficiency in the uh, human defense in five. In the meantime, so the Dr. Fiatu introduced to his patients just, you know, the whole, this uh, um, Dr. Bo Shen, I was just a fellow. He said, he said, oh, the world expert in pouchitis. I'm not a world expert, <laughs> but it's right. really give the, he said the high standard and then encouraging. And then, um, so I actually, I follow the, uh, his role model. Now, Dr. Fazio passed away in uh, 2015 and then my job to extend his legacy. So there's a, uh, that great man. So that's a. That's, we talk about why I get this area, pouch area, IBD area, intervention IBD. I was really grateful for Dr. Zuccaro, doc, uh, Dr. Fazio, and then uh, doc, um, Dr. Charles Barons, and then my medical um, 
advisor that is Dr. Um, Brett Lashner too. Oh, wow. That's a very inspiring story. It looks like your mentors really uh, pushed you. Uh, and er But er also early on, they recognized that, that you would be an expert in this area. I'm assuming they saw something, they saw that you were interested in pouch disorders and that sort of, it was a, a very yeah. synergistic effect between the mentor and the mentee. Yeah, so the, actually the uh, interventional IBD actually is involved in the area of the, we call it pouchology. Uh, pouch, why? Because uh, pouch is the main made organ, right? So the reconstructive right. surgery. And then it is uh, tremendously improved the patient quality of life because, but because it is the, the reconstructive nature and the complications very common that including majority of them have the complications related to the pouch artists, chrome disease of pouch, and also the structural complication, uh, structure, uh, anasmotic leak, and uh, pre-sacral sinus, then we use this tool, to not only the, uh, treat it medically, uh, but also use the endoscopy tool to treat the structure, treat the surgical leak. And then with this is in mind, and then we later on expand that area to the just IBD, because we know that Crohn's disease, um, it's a majority of the patient eventually would develop some form of the, uh, complication, structure, fistula, and then also the colitis patient, even after surgery with the pouch, developed all kinds of the post-surgical complications. And the Crohn's disease that too, after, after surgery, they still had to run the issue of the anesthetic leak, anesthetic sinus, and anesthetic structure. So then the, this is the natural extension for our world of the pouchology that study with the pouch disorder to the uh, uh, to inflammatory bowel disease. That's amazing. So you, you did summarize for us uh, most of what the what um, pouchology or study of the pouch uh, entails. Um, so I mean, for the for those uh, listeners that are in the fellowship, um, I. I uh, I can summarize it and say that uh, pouch is greatly helpful in these patients that undergo surgery, to total colectomy. Uh, it's where the small intestines folded to form a pouch, a false in a, a false rectum, if you if if you will, and uh, that can have a lot of structural issues. There can be post-surgical complications. Uh, and um, other things, and, and there can be structural issues that you're describing. So tell me a little bit um, about the structural issues that you deal with uh, and how you take care of it. So um, major, uh, so if we talk about the structural issues of ileal pouch with uh, uh, the other two main category. One is uh, some sort of the obstruction, otherwise uh, some sort of the leak. They talk about the leak, the majority of them, the leak is at the, the vulnerable area in the anastomosis, tip of the J, previous stoma closure site, and then acute uh, leak uh, presented as a perforation, air leak, and a contrast leak. And a chronic leak uh, the, um, the presented with the, the fistula or sinus. So the treatment for the endoscopy side is a little bit different. We talk about the treatment. Now, the other category of the um, um, obstruction, it is um, some forms like, for example, it's an adhesion-induced um, sort of extrinsic uh, uh, obstruction, or sometimes the people call it intramural the, uh, obstruction. That means 
the bowel wall thickened fibrosis, and then also some of the patients called intraluminal obstruction, such as the prolapse, right? Such as the, those patients with the bezoar and the, um, this uh, dislodged staple and uh, pedunculated, pedunculated inflammatory polyps, right? All can cause obstruction. So now we talk about all this uh, leak, the uh, intraluminal obstruction, intramural obstruction, majority of those patients will benefit from endoscopic therapy in formal industrial. Well, I can talk, for example, if you try to use a loth net to remove the bezoar, use the snail polypectomy to remove the pedunculated polyps, the obstructing pedunculated polyps, and use the balloon dilatation of the uh, um, uh, intramural um, uh, obstruction and either primary uh, um, uh, structure, which is related to disease, such as the Crohn's disease of the pouch or Crohn's disease by its nature, or it's an asthmatic. We all, this one we call secondary uh, uh, structure. So you can use a balloon now. About 15 years ago, we, um, regarding the treatment from balloon dilatation, now evolving from the, we call a structurotomy and a structuroplasty endoscopically. So endoscopic structurotomy, the main tool we use a uh, needle knife or IT, IT knife, either IT knife or IT2 knife. And for people with um, a thin structure, especially an asthmatic structure, we, we can use a called a radio, radio type of the cut and put the, the clip there at the spacer. Then we call uh, the actually for, formally labeled as an endoscopic structure plastic. So um, when, when you're saying that there's a difference between how you approach uh, pouch strictures or narrowings or some sort of an obstructive process at the pouch, depending on whether it's a primary stricture that is uh, active Crohn's disease that's caused inflammatory changes and then partially obstructive versus chronic stricturing fibrotic strictures that you can do and that you're a world specialist, world expert on that area of performing structurotomies. Um, so my question is, I'm, I don't claim to be an IBD specialist of any sort. Uh, I did do brush-ups a little bit before, um, uh, before this podcast. Uh, so tell me about um, how do you, when you go in and see active Crohn's disease and you realize that that's what's causing the disease, that's what's causing their symptoms, obstructive symptoms, do you generally dilate them or do you uh, do you increase their medication or uh, start escalating their dosage or change? Or how, do, how do you think through that problem when you see it, uh, when it's a primary restriction? So in the setting, uh, the, this is a great question regarding the Crohn's disease, right? If you have a structure, the structure typically you divide the main, you divide it uh, the, uh, based on different criteria, long structure or short structure, typically we use the cutoff for the four to five centimeters as a cutoff line, and then you divide it into the inflammatory structure with the fibrotic structure. So inflammatory structure is always a room for the medical therapy. Then you can also divide the patient. It's an oscillated structure or non-oscillated structure. The treatment is different. So the four people with a fibrotic structure or inflammatory structure that uh, we, we use a different tool. Inflammatory structure, in addition to the medical therapy, we, we normally use a balloon. 
If the fiber optic structure, we normally use uh, structurotomy, structure uh, plasty with a knife. Now, sometimes it's like that you can see the, all the imaging uh, studies that everybody claim use a CT scan and an MRI with the ultrasound can differentiate these two types of structure. So, but I think that we are the endoscopist. Right? I think it's just by endoscopy, when you use a biopsy, you can tell the fibrotic structure or inflammatory structure. Inflammatory structure, typically edema, a friable, contact the bleeding. And then when you have fibrotic structure, if you put the balloon there or biopsy phosphate there, you feel like it's a heart. Then you choose, choose the two. So typically if you have the structure, uh, the long structure more than four to five centimeters long, this patient will need a benefit from the surgery, especially the primary structure the, or disease associated structure. So that's you need to find the, um, uh, the uh, candidate uh, lesion. It is so, important, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. It's important that before the, uh, the advanced endoscopy, there are two rules it is. Any structure at the index uh, therapy, index endoscopy, you always do the biopsy. Regardless, it's a primary structure or the secondary structure because the IBD patient, there's a risk for cancer. So right. then every year during the therapy, you should biopsy at least once. This is rule number one. Rule number two, before the, um, um, you deliver the, any therapeutic endoscopy for IBD patient, that including the pouch patient, you should have some form of cross-sectional study and the CT, MRI that could tell defined the length of the structure, number of the structure, and particularly if they defined is a, do you have the pre-stenotic dilatation above the structure? Typically, if the patient's structure has a pre-stenotic dilatation, um, luminal dilatation, that means the relatively poor response to the any endoscopy therapy. And in addition, the cross-sectional study is very important to define, do you have the fistula nearby? Or abscess nearby. If the abscess fistula near the fist, uh, near the structure, you'll be very careful, especially for balloon dilatation. For example, if there's a enteric fistula, say from the terminal ileum to, to cecum, uh, terminal ileum to sigmoid colon, then terminal ileum of uh, the ileocecal valve the structure. If you do the balloon dilatation, you, if you don't be very careful, you may cause a double perforation, terminal ileum perforation, as well as the sigmoid colon perforation. So cross-sectional imaging is important, but some of the, in the advanced endoscopists, we may do intraprocedural fluoroscopy, but most of the people we do is like without the fluoroscopy in the endoscopy room. So better than make sure within three months of the procedure and, um, um, before the procedure, you should have some form of the uh, cross-sectional imaging. I mean, sometimes they use a, a gastrographic enema uh, to delineate the, so the, the structure. Just going back to what you said a little earlier, um, does, the, does the presence of fistula in that area tell you that this is inflammatory uh, or that the disease is active and more likely to perforate? Or how do you think, how do you uh, answer the question why they're higher risk? So this would be actually uh, presence of the fistula does not mean it's, it's an inflammatory component, but a presence of fistula above the structure that in indicate that a structure has been there for for long long time. So then normally these the people have the I give you an example for example people with the severe ileocecal valve structure, 
then you can see the then next step would be the terminal ileum will become dilated. Then after terminal ileum dilatation, at the base of the dilated terminal ileum, there's a fistula opening. That's show the chronicity. That's why those patients also had to run the risk of the little bit of cancer, their cancer risk, the small bowel or terminal ileum. So that's why then if the fistula directly connected to the nearby sigmoid colon, when you do the dilatation there, actually can dis disrupt the fistula track. I see. So, so you right have the perforation. Double perforation. So I see. So you can perforate both the lumen that you're dilating yeah. and also that of the fistula track. Yeah, fistula. So that's why be very, very careful about that. And this is a, you know, we call it a, a principle. And then the other things you got principle when we do this, uh, sometimes the structure is the anal area, right? So that you can, because if you deal deal with the Crohn's disease uh, with the fistula, some of them had the bad perianal disease on top of that had the anal rectal ring structure. So the junction between the squamous cell and the columnar cell, there's a structure there. Then when we do the structure dilatation, be very careful because if you do the balloon or boogie dilatation, because you have a no control of how deep you want to go and where to tear, then give the room for the endoscopic structurotomy because when you do the structurotomy, you intentionally avoid the front wall of the structure at the anorectal ring to avoid iatrogenic trauma to the posterior wall of the vagina, prostate, et cetera, right? You only cut the posterior wall in the circumferential fashion, semi-circumferential fashion that reduce risk for damage to the anal sphincter. That the knife has advantage over the balloon, over the boogie. So these are all standard uh, um, the practice and in our uh, um, guideline uh, published the Lancet Gastro uh, two years ago the, by the interventional IBD group, worldwide interventional group, we call it a global interventional group. We mentioned it's if your anal rectal ring structure in the Crohn disease associated and then endoscopic structurotomy with the posterior war um, circum semi circumferential cutting is a, a treatment of the choice. That's amazing. So do you go in with a cap or do you use any other tools attached to the distal end of your scope to help you do that structurotomy? So typically we do not need a cap. It's a cap actually that in, in, sometimes interfere with the view. It's a, because it's a, you have a little bit of tunnel um, tunnel view. We just do the, well, normally if you do the lower endoscopy uh, for the endoscopy, if the patient already had surgery, if you have a chance to use the EGD scope, use the EGD scope. And then it's an easy manu uh, maneuver and then easy and, and a, a small caliber. Another thing I forgot, um, Dr. Carton, I, um, I, I need to discuss what's yeah. the defi definition of the structure? Actually, it's interesting. Right. That's a good question. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because radiologist definition is a structure. It is a bowel wall narrowing with a pre-stenotic dilatation. Right. So in our uh, I, interventional IBD community, we define the structure it is. If you have a, uh, the bowel lumen, when you pass a pediatric colonoscope, you have any resistance, we call it structure. With or without pre-stenotic dilation? With or without right? pre-stenotic dilatation. So that if you could scope, you found the resistance. Then also this, they use this one as, as a measurement of the technical success of uh, endoscopic therapy. For example, if you have a non-traversable structure, 
so pediatric colonoscope. Right. Then after your uh, balloon dilatation, after structurotomy, then you can pass through the scope, through the treated area with and without resistance, we call technical success. Now, in the patient with a traversable structure, with a mild to moderate or severe strict, um, resistance, but you're still able to pass through it before your therapy, we call it structure, right? Yeah. Then after the treatment, you pass the scope through it without the resistance, we call it technical success. This is really important. It, it makes total sense to me. Is some of these things are very subjective, yeah. uh, and uh, I like how you explained it. So it's a, it's a stricture only when you're not able when you are having difficulty passage of a pediatric colonoscope past that anastomosis, mm -hmm. and you have you, you've uh, in in that paper. I'm assuming in the guidelines, yeah. it's been elucidated. Uh, that you must be, technical success is clearly defined. It looks like you wanna be able to get your scope passed. Mm -hmm. If you're not able to, after dilation, you should be able to pass your scope with or without much resistance. Right. But if you're able to pass the stricture, then your technical, with resistance, your technical success is defined as being able to pass it without resistance. I like right. that. Exactly. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for telling us about that. So I'm just gonna go back just a little bit uh, talk to you about what you mentioned when you were talking about uh, iliocolonic anastomotic structures. Uh, I remember, if I heard you correctly, is that if that stricture area has a pre-stenotic dilatation, mm -hmm. you, you mentioned that surgery may be necessary. Um, so tell me, uh, when do you say, you know, just like you had definitions for stricture and dilation, mm -hmm. I want to know for somebody like me, I'm not, um, I'm not an IBD person and I don't see that many cases, uh, but I do get referrals from my colleagues. So how should I uh, approach this is I have a patient that has a, a iliocolonic anastomosis and there is a stricture. There is some amount of pre-stenotic dilation without any fistulas. So what would my approach be in that patient? So actually, the, uh, the, first of all, define the uh, primary uh, structure versus uh, an asthmatic structure. Typically, primary structure has a polar response to endoscopic therapy, either um, structurotomy or balloon dilatation. So an asthmatic structure typically respond better to endoscopic therapy. So that's why, um, so if you said, if you compare uh, the um, balloon dilatation for primary structure, say it's a terminal ileum structure versus uh, surgery, actually the study, all studies showed that basically you do the periodic balloon dilatation for primary structure, it's a, you don't save the much of the time for the next surgery. So the primary structure core. But if you have the anastomotic structure, you do the periodically blown dilatation, you average save, save around six and a half years for the next surgery. That's a very significant amount years. of time. Yeah. Yes. So that's if the people, especially Crohn's disease, you have issue of the uh, bowel resection with the uh, complication after the uh, bowel resection surgery and still the, uh, the uh, disease recurrence and the current structure, right? So yes. some people had the multiple um, surgery and they, in the, during the um, period of their life for the, like say four or five surgery. 
then you do the periodic balloon dilatation and you may reduce the number of the total, total number of the surgery. Now this is talk about the, the balloon dilatation, right? If you do the structurotomy, our study showed, so the structurotomy for the anastomotic structure, the result is as good as surgical resection and anastomosis. That's, so, uh, that's uh, really very significant. Yeah, so that's why when you have an anastomotic structure, if I have a chance to do knife therapy, structurotomy, structuroplasty, your best, actually uh, the best candidate patient, it is people have the iliocolonic resection with the side-to-side -side anastomosis and had a structure. This structure typically thin, can be very tight, like a pinhole, but the wall is only the structure length about one centimeters to 1.5 centimeters. Then you do the radial cut, put the clip, in the cut area, these things can last. So basically the, the, by this tool, you can avoid the surgery almost forever. So that's your dream, dream, structural plasty and structural side-to-side -side anastomosis. So I see. And so when you were well, in a side-to-side -side anastomosis, when you see a pinhole, there's still a, quite a bit of safety room. Is that what you're telling us? Actually, it's a yeah. the great, great question. Is that your uh, risk of the uh, perforation bleeding no study showed it's related to the degree of the structure. So even like a pinhole structure, as long as you know that the other side is a, the bowel lumen, sometimes x-ray will tell, sometimes you use a guide wire, sometimes you should use ultra thin scope and take a look at the other side, right? So you, so that as an endoscopy, I like my teacher told me, Dr. Azucaro said, as long as you keep the scope uh, uh, straight, Right. and make sure exit strategy is available. Anticipate the bleeding perforation. Are you at the position to put the clip there to inject the medicine there? Talk about the next things I, you probably later we mentioned about what's the main risk for the balloon dilatation, main risk for structurotomy. Balloon dilatation main risk is a perforation. Structurotomy, the main risk is a delayed bleeding up to four days after procedure, why? Because you use the cauterization, you create an ulcer. Then sometimes the ulcer, the middle of the ulcer has a bleed blood vessel. You can't control it. So the normally, what? how do we do the uh, control, the uh, prevent the control the bleeding? I used to uh, spray 50% uh, glucose, coated that to, uh, to prevent the bleeding. Or in the future, if the bleeding happened, I use that one to control bleeding. But now there's a new tools I started use about six years, six months ago. Yeah. So far, the, uh, all the cutting, no bleeding. This you may, you heard of it called a pure stat. I yes, suppose maybe that. that. Yeah. It's a very good. So far, it's like a, we don't have any episode of the delayed bleeding yet. Yeah. So that's the um, I really uh, think this uh, you should have these things things available. And uh, when you do the cutting, especially a lot of the burning. And then you just spread some uh, pure state. I think the better than my uh, my fifty percent glucose. Wonderful. That's very interesting. So um, at least for somebody like me, that's an interventional endoscopist that wants that does some intervent that does uh, some interventions on IBD patients. So it look it sounds to me like side to side anastomosis are the easiest ones to approach first, right. even when there's a tiny hole. Make sure your scope is in a great position. And this reminds me of what you said. It reminds me of what my mentors taught me is uh, only attempt to do things in interventional endoscopy that you can control if there is a complication. 
So make sure your position's correct. You're in a really good uh, position. Make sure it's safe by passing a thinner caliber scope to the other side, passing a wire or fluoroscopy, and then make a cut. So the, so these, these patients you're telling me can go for more than six years. You can delay their surgery by more than six years. Is that correct? Right, right. Prolonged dilatation. Knife may be even longer. If you have this, right, yes. Interesting. So very nice. Thank you so much for educating us about these anastomotic strictures, differentiating between inflammatory strictures and uh, fibrotic strictures, and how you decide between balloon dilation versus stricturotomy. Um, I want to change gears just a little bit and say there's a lot of interest in interventional IBD. I, I think the good yardstick of measurement of successful treatment is whether you can delay surgery and how long you can delay surgery. Right. And so uh, what would be your advice to somebody that does general interventional endoscopy and wants to take on the specific role in their academic medical center as the interventional IBD person, uh, should they attempt it? Should an IBD person be doing it? How do you think of this? How do you think is a sustainable, successful model that does the most benefit for our patients? There's a wonderful, wonderful question. Actually, as we would say, is that there's a gap actually during the FGI fellowship training or super fellow training, PGY7. So the most people would say they trained advanced endoscopy probably has a limited um, uh, knowledge about uh, the uh, natural history background of IBD. People train an IBD, lack of the knowledge for the advanced endoscopy, right? right. Ideally, if you wanted to, the, to train at the, um, um, you know, in the intervention IBD specialist, you probably in the half and a half trained IBD trained advanced endoscopy. Myself, I had the training in the advanced endoscopy, although during my fellowship, I interest in IBD. So I think it's a, so, uh, in, the, uh, the, in the field of the interventional IBD, I would say 90 to 95% of the people, their background is IBD person. And then, so the other way around, we will be like, the, we are, I, ideally I would see that in the half and a half, probably, at, at, so half of them in the background is advanced endoscopy. So that important one, if you are already advanced endoscopy, if you have um, the, your focus is on the, you know, ERCP, US, et cetera, point, and if you want interest in IBD, I would say recommend you probably either you do this. We have the, some workshop for from ASG, special interest group in the interventional IBD, or spend a, a, a time with your correct surgeons. That is the key to spend the time with the correct surgeon, spend the time with your IBD radiologist, see the, what's the, the IBD surgery, what kind of complication they have, right? So the, all the leak structure, so that's it. And the, but the technical aspect is, a, you know, in that group, what's the kind of, um, um, so you training in the, in the advanced endoscopy side are important because you know there's a, for example, uh, how do I initially find a needle knife for the treat, right? Actually, the, in my training at the ERCP, I use a needle knife and then the, um, use this one. Actually, I use the APC, right? Either uh, argon plasma coagulation, I treat the people with the pouch prolapse, right? So you need to, what's the tool available? And then, for example, you can learn, the, uh, you know, say ESD 
for the treating like a gastric, you know, um, tumor, right? You can later on use the same same thing to treat the colitis associated neoplasia, right? Dysplasia. So that's how do you um, uh, and then you also need a little bit of training in the back in the, in the radiology as well as the GI pathologies. Be able to read the images and understand what is going on. Right. That, that's example, great. Yeah. Yeah. Ahead, Especially when you have that IBD, the radiology, right? Radiology, you need to know that, the, you know, the, for example, say people, I said, I have the pouch prolapse. How to read the pouch prolapse? How do you read the ileal pouch interception pouch seal, right? You should read as good as a radiologist in your field. Right. That's, that's great advice. Um, uh, Dr. let's say that there's, uh, there's uh, you know, that, that's great advice to the academic, interventional, and IBD fellows, uh, you know, how, um, how they would decide whether they want to take this field on or not, and, and even to practicing interventional endoscopists and IBD experts. Let's say that there are general gastroenterologists in the community uh, and so what is your advice on when to refer the patient to a specialist center and when uh, and what is it that they can safely practice and when does, should they take that decision to send the patient to an expert center? Yeah, so it is another wonderful question. I think it's uh, uh, all the, um, you know, GI um, gastroenterologists as long as do the therapeutic, uh, um, some therapeutic procedure, for example, everybody to do the uh, colonoscopy with a polypectomy, right? I right. think that you should be able to, to do the dilated simple procedure, a simple structure, so that you can use a, a Y-guided balloon and use a non-Y-guided balloon for this, we will say, simple uh, structure, say primary or an asthmatic structure, right? But if you say the structure has a people have the multiple structure, the structure in that with the history of the fistula and a structure close to perianal um, disease, then you probably need to refer to the uh, the uh, tertiary care. And the other other one is uh, if you have the long structure, the current structure, you know, I will uh, at least give it a give um uh, give it a try for the simple structure. If you want to try the structure therapy. The probably the safest one started with anal rectal ring structure. You can use a small balloon and use a small knife. Start with them there because you run the risk of the perforation almost zero. Just in case you have a bleeding, right? Actually, bleeding will have a tool. Actually, there were people in our uh, field. We have the uh, tampon, you know, endoscopy suite. And if the people had the, like the, a delayed bleeding in that area, you can just put a tampon there. So that's yeah, it. That's, that's, a great trick, yeah. yes. that's, that's a great trick is to keep these tampons in endoscopy suite and then just insert that should there be any bleeding. Correct. Uh, this, this makes a, a lot of sense uh, to me. I mean, I'm, I'm not an expert in the field, but enough to know when to get started with these treatments, what I can, what risks I can take uh, and what I, I shouldn't. Um, so tell me, you know, I have before, I know the time's running out. so. One final question is about fellowship uh, and training. Uh, there are fellows in uh, the third year of fellowship, and let's say they have an inclination towards IBD or interventional endoscopy. How, if they were going to become interventional uh, IBD specialists, mm -hmm. how should they, um, how should they uh, shape their training so that they can get the most uh, out of their time? 
So actually, there will be like uh, it's a some of the visiting fellowship around. We have the some uh, center that uh, welcome your third year fellow, even fourth year fellow to train as a in the special um, in the tertiary care center. You know, and then also um, the there's uh, ASG hold several workshop. And then also important one, there's a, a friend of mine in the Czech Republic and they have that pick a model. So you can practice, of course, you get a little, little bit of fee. And then in the uh, in the training at the ASG so far in the, in here, we use like the, uh, the, the stomach model is an ex vivo uh, model. But if you do the, uh, uh, the Europe, there are some uh, live pick model, structure model you can practice there. And then, then um, the shadowing, with the center is so we are always always welcome. So this um, basically, if uh, the I often emphasize the procedure itself. I can tell you, Dr. Garten, your guys ERCP US is far more sophisticated than interventional IBD. The IBD part is an important one. I always emphasize principle first, technique second, device third. So you always know. For example, I can give a quick example. So all the gastroenterologists, when they said there's a hole on the wall of the bowel, all immediately said the instinct would be close it, right? Yeah. But the principle was wrong. Actually, actually, if you send a hole, if the, I mean, in the setting of the presacral sinus, when the people had an asthmatic leak, actually, that's rather than close that hole with your bare claw, with the, like the over the scope, the clip, or through the scope, uh, the over the scope, the clip, or in, uh, through the scope, the clip, or even stitches, you rather, the, uh, instead of the closing, you open up. So okay. actually, the, we call it sinusotomy. Okay. Sinusotomy. That sinusotomy. So you help it drain so that you the drain. Know, you incorporate so the part yeah. of the, the leak to become part of the of the bowel. So we do starting doing this for people with the ileal pouch. And then you also your colleague have the correct surgeon, maybe do the color lot of low interior resection for low rectal cancer, right? right. There's a leak, the same thing. You have, you apply the same concept. Talk about like the things like how do you establish a team? How do you practice? You need to have a good um, uh, correct surgeon at the backup. These we are like brothers. If you have some of the patient in doubt, if you do this blown dilatation cutting, you the best place I can you do it is for the safest place to do with your surgeon in the OR. Use them to stand by. You can do the structure. Say if you failed structure, they can do the, the, the OR already the, the, the part of informed consent, just right. The patient would otherwise need surgical resection. You may wake up after a general anesthesia. Okay, I didn't. Intraoperative um, uh, you know, uh, colonoscopy with the structure therapy, you may wake up without a bag, without any uh, big incision. Patient would be very happy, right? Two teams there, and then they help they help each other. So that's why right. you had a, a great, great team, a, a great teamwork. Yeah. Yes, that's that's great advice. I think yeah, you know, every, most of what we do interventionally. Uh, we do need uh, a really good team with a surgeon, with the surgeons, and I think it's the same for IBD as well. Uh, so this is this is amazing information. I, I've certainly learned a lot from talking to you today, Thank and you. I'm sure the listeners have uh, 
really enjoyed uh, learning from your conversation. I want to thank you so much for coming here, uh, making time to talk to us and to educate us about this new, growing, innovative field of uh, interventional IDD. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. Gautam, and thank you, ASG, for having me. Talk to you soon. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us and to our sponsor, Cook Medical. You can find the full series at ASGE.org, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.